So this evening's reading is from Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, let's, um, let's pray as we look at God's word together. Father, we are indeed immensely grateful that your presence is here with us, that your spirit is moving among us in this place. We ask that as we come now to look at your words together, as we come now to think about what it means for us to be salt and light in this world, that you would speak speak to us, that you would stir us by your spirit. Pray that we'd leave this place having met with you, having encountered you, and having been transformed by you this evening. We ask all of this for your name's sake. Amen. What the world needs now is... Ah, yes, the vicar sang it first. (laughs) What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Not sing it. (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, Not not C.S. Lewis, not Karl Barth. Bert Bacharach wrote those words in 1969 to a very famous song that I know lots of us will know and can um, sing in our heads, but I'm not going to sing it out loud. And while I'm hesitant to um, align myself too much with the theology of Bert Bacharach, um, I don't think he's entirely missed the point with this song, or at least the chorus of it. Because, of course, what the world needs now is absolutely love. Of course, it's not, not the kind of love that he's talking about in that song. Um, but I think we'd all agree, wouldn't we, that the, the world, this world, desperately needs the love of Jesus. I think we'd all agree on that. I think at least I hope we all agree on that. Those of us who know and love Jesus would agree that this world needs his love. You don't need to spend too long um, talking to those you work with or are at school with, reading the news, or, or simply looking around you to recognize that this world is crying out for something, for someone to come and to heal the pain, to, to comfort the brokenhearted, to offer hope to those who are grieving. And, and that hope, of course, that we believe, we believe that's Jesus. 
We believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And so it reads that because the world needs the love of Jesus, because it's crying out for the love of Jesus, therefore it needs those of us who follow Jesus, those of us who know and love him, our world needs us to be different. The world needs you and me to be different. It's pretty much my point tonight, so if you check out at this point, just remember that one thing. The world needs us, those of us who know and love Jesus, the world needs us to be different. We are called to be different. In many ways, that point is what is lying behind so much of what Jesus is saying in this part of Matthew's Gospel. You might well know that this little passage, these few verses, come from that longer section that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is, it's in a sense, it's Jesus' manifesto. It's his outline, it's his, um, his kind of picture and vision of what it looks like to live in God's kingdom here on earth. To be part of a community that's centered around him, a community that is spreading the good news of him to the world around it. And it's not, of course, a coincidence that Jesus' words from tonight's passage come immediately after the Beatitudes, those stunningly transformative verses that, that turn the established status quo of the world on its head, elevating the humble, the meek, the poor, Because what Jesus is doing is making it explicitly clear to his disciples and to the religious leaders of the day who were listening that that things are different in God's kingdom. Things are different in God's kingdom. And and what he's going to go on to say in our passage tonight is this. For those of us who follow him, we are called, yes, to live in this world, but we're called to live a different life. We're called to live in this world, but we are called to live a different life because that backward kingdom he's just talked about in the Beatitudes, that kingdom that turns everything we know on its head, we're the ones who are to model it. Yes, we'll get it wrong. We're not going to hit it, hit the target all the time. Jesus knows that. But the point he's making is that we're the ones that model that to the world around us. Those things we read, this is what we're to model. We're to live this different life. And it's obvious then, isn't it, that that to show the world our different lives, we have to therefore be of the world. And it's important we remember that as we think about salt and light because as Jesus goes on to say, there's not a lot of point lighting a lamp if you're just going to hide it under a bowl. In Jesus' time, there were some among the religious leadership who believed that the only way to live a good life and a holy life was to effectively shut yourself off from everything else in the world around you, to to not let it contaminate you. While that might mean that you individually manage to live um, a pure life, it's hardly a great witness the point Jesus is making here is that we, we are absolutely meant to be part of this world. We're called to be in this world. We're called to be in our schools, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our cities. Because the way in which we join with God in bringing about the renewal of all things, which is what he's in the business of doing, is first and foremost to put down deep roots in the places we find ourselves today. We invest, therefore, we invest in our communities, in our relationships, in our schools, and in our workplaces. The reason we invest in those places, the reason we put down roots in those places, is because it's exactly in those places that we're called to live 
differently. We invest in these places because these are the places God has called us to. Our school, our office, our home, our city. We invest and we become salt and light, which we're going to look at in a minute, in those places. We're called to live in this world. And then the obvious question is, well, therefore, what does living differently look like? And Jesus uses two pictures here. It's a very well-known passage. Two pictures that, that help us begin to answer that question of what it looks like to live differently. He uses the pictures of salt and of light. And I think that by spending just a little bit of time getting at why he uses these two pictures, we'll go some way to beginning to understand what it might look like to live this different life, to live this life that reflects and speaks of God's kingdom. Salt and light can help us to live differently, can help us to live deeply in the places we find ourselves. You are to be salt to the earth and to be the light of the world. And he starts off with salt. Salt was um, a pretty common item in Jesus' time as it is today. Um, I reckon most of us have probably got some salt somewhere at home. We don't really think anything of it usually, do we? It goes on the fish and chips. It goes in our cooking. It's not really something that often makes us stop and think. I think there are three things um, about salt that make it the perfect picture for Jesus to be using here. Three things that when we apply them, not just to salt, but to us and our lives, help us get what he's talking about. And the three things are this. First of all, salt gives flavor. Salt gives flavor. The second, salt preserves. And the third is that salt makes us thirsty. Gives flavor, preserves, and makes us thirsty. So first of all, salt gives flavor. We know that, don't we? Um, I'm often being told off at home for putting too much salt on my meal. I'm told that it ruins the hard work that's gone into it. Um, But the reason that I do it is because actually for me, it enhances the food that's been cooked. It gives it that extra kick. In some sense, and I don't know what the science is, it draws out from within the meal an extra level of taste. It takes those flavors that have already been put into the meal and it enhances them. That's why I put salt on my dinner because it enhances the flavors that are there. And that's part of the thing with salt, isn't it? You don't eat it on its own. I don't know anyone who just sits down of an evening with a bowl of salt. Maybe. The thing you salt is you put it on a meal that's already there because it enhances the thing in front of you. It brings out the flavors. We'll come to look in a minute about what that means for us. But that's the first thing with salt is it enhances flavor. The second is that it's a preservative, and this is what it was mostly used for in Jesus' time. People would use salt to preserve meat, keep it effectively from going off. And and salt, therefore, has this wonderfully practical thing about it. You know, in a world without refrigeration, without the preservative character of salt, your meat went off. That was the reality. So it gives flavor, it preserves, and it makes us thirsty. If you did happen to sit down when you get back from church tonight and down a bowl of salt, um, you'd be craving water and possibly some other things as well, but you'd be craving water like never before because salt induces within us, doesn't it, that feeling of thirst. Salt makes us thirsty. So salt enhances flavor, it preserves, and it induces thirst. Let's take those things with salt, those qualities, those characters, and just for a minute think about that in our lives. 
Because what Jesus says is, when you follow me, you are salt to the earth. We're meant to be, therefore, like salt. So firstly, that means we add flavor to the world. In the same way that salt adds flavor to a meal, a meal that's already there, we add flavor to the world around us. The world around us is beautiful, and it's been beautifully made, and it is full of flavors and beauty. But it's also a broken world. But by bringing the message of hope, by bringing the message of Jesus to this world, we bring this beautiful, um, we kind of pull the flavors out of it. We bring this beauty to the world, to this meal. We pour salt on it and we bring the flavors out. And we tell this story, don't we? We tell this beautiful story that no longer do we just have to assume that we're this collection of atoms and cells made out of nothing, for nothing, and, and with no purpose. Rather, as followers of Jesus, being salt to the earth, we tell a different story. We tell a story of a God who, out of sheer love, created everything we see around us, cooked the meal, as you were. Each person, each thing we see was created and cooked by God. It's a story we tell, and it's a story whose every page drips with love. It's a story that gives hope to the hurting, comfort to the weeping, strength to the weak. It's a story that tells the world that while some of the chapters might be hard, there can be, for those of us who know and love Jesus, a happy ending. When we're the salt of the earth, the first thing we do is enhance the flavor and the beauty of the world around us by telling the story of Jesus to it. Secondly, we preserve the world as well. In the same way that that salt preserves meat from going off, we, not through our strength, but by sharing the message of the gospel, we stop the world going bad. And we do it by sharing the good news of Jesus and by inviting everyone we know to come to know him for themselves, to taste and to see that the Lord is good. We proclaim as Christians that there's a better way to live, that there's hope, and that ultimately death, death is not the end. By living differently, by living as salty people, as Jesus would say it, we act kind of as a preservative, We stop it from going bad. And as salt, people who are salt to the earth, we create that feeling of thirst within others. By being salt, we make others thirst. When we live differently, when we live according to God's kingdom, according to this topsy-turvy, upside-down kingdom, there's something different about us that people see and that people want to know more. So many times when you listen to stories of people who come to church for the first time or have come to faith through someone they know, so many times when you hear people telling that story, they use a phrase that is effectively, there was this person I know or this colleague I work with or this person in my class at school and there was something different about them. So many times I've heard that come up in people's stories of faith. There was something different about the person in my office, and I just had to know more. There was something different about that person in my class, who when I asked them what it was, they just said, it's Jesus. There's something different about that mum at the school gate, who seemed to have peace, or I was lacking it. 
comes up time and time again. And of course, what the people are seeing in us is not us being great. They're seeing Jesus. They're seeing people who in their own way and in their own broken but, but loving way are trying to practice and live out the way of Jesus wherever it is he has led them to be. It doesn't matter that in that first moment people don't always realize what it is that's different. The point is they're thirsty and they want to know what it is they can have to drink to quench the thirst. And of course in that situation the only thing they can drink that will quench the thirst is the living water of Jesus. When we're the salt of the earth, when we live differently, people will see something different in us. And they'll want to know more. And that's what we're called to be. We are called to be that salt of the earth. Being the salt of the earth means being the one in your friendship group at school who doesn't get involved in the latest round of gossip, who just steps back at that point and says, actually, that's not what I'm about. And that simple act of simply stepping to the side when the gossip is going on provokes in another one of your friends a question. Why did you do that? What is it that made you do that? Jesus. It means being the one in your office who always has time to engage with and listen, and I mean really listen to, how your colleagues are actually doing. It's the one who stops and says, tell me how you're doing, and who maybe every now and again says, look, Would you mind if I prayed for you? I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It means being that parent at the school gate who isn't afraid to admit that actually, do you know what, sometimes life is hard, but I found a peace in God that I couldn't find anywhere else. Being salt means when the oven repairman has come round to fix your oven, you offer him a Jesus plaster as well. (laughs) I never thought I'd say that. But that's what it means, isn't it? It's simple things. They don't have to be big things standing on street corners. It's the little things we do. And we do those little things. And people look at us and say, there's something about you that's different. And I just want to know more. People around us are thirsting more than ever for the living water. And that is only found in Jesus. When we are salt, we enhance the flavor by being compassionate and showing grace to them. The compassion and grace that we've been shown through Jesus. We preserve them because we offer them the gospel and say, this is how to stop it going off. And we show them how to quench that thirst. Jesus also uses the language of light, doesn't he? And we'll just touch on this one more briefly. Because he says, we're also the light of the world. We're called to be the light of and to the world. We're called, therefore, to act like light. That means lighting the way to those around us, effectively showing them the way to salvation, shining the light on the right path and saying, this is the way to go. This is the way to Jesus. It also means to shine lights into the darkest areas of the world, shining the love of God into those places because we know that the darkness cannot stop the light. So no matter how dark our world may be, God's light is always burning brighter. And that means we're called to be people who fight for justice It means we stand up for the poor. It means we ensure that everybody's voice is heard because the light of the world is a light that seeks to cast out darkness in any shape or form. But the other thing with light, and this is what I think Jesus is is getting at in this little passage, is that it attracts us, draws us in. 
That's why he uses this image of a city on a hill. The point I think he's making is this. When as his followers we shine our lights together, we become like that city glowing on a hill. This beautiful place that is drawing in everyone who sees the lights. If you've ever been on a plane at night and you've looked down from 30,000 feet and seen the lights of the cities beneath you, you'll know that there's something compelling about them, isn't there? There's something that kind of makes you go, I need to know where this place is. I want to know what it is I'm flying over. Where is this? It's reckoned that in Jesus' day, which obviously, you know, a time without light pollution, you could see the lights of a city on a hill, like he's describing, from 100 miles away. 100 miles That, I think, is the image he's planting in the hearts of his disciples here because he knows people are drawn to these lights. When you're out walking in the darkness, you're drawn to the light. And what at first might look like a tiny speck on the horizon 100 miles away, the closer you get, you realize actually it's hundreds of individual lights, each joining together to create this one big light A light, of course, which points people to the true light. Jesus says we, as his church, as his family, as his followers, we are called to be that light. We are called together to bring our lights and make that city on a hill that will attract and draw people towards it. When we do that, we become like this radiant city that people from miles and miles away look at and think, I need to go and see what's going on there. They cannot help but move towards it when they see it. Salt and light. That's what we're called to be. That is what Jesus says we are to be to the world around us because the world desperately needs us to be different. Of course, we have to remember none of this is is for our sake We don't do it so we get the praise. We don't do it so that we become the expert in all things Jesus. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? It starts with him and it ends with him. And it's all through his grace as well. We do all of this through his grace. But we are called to live differently. We're called to model something else to a world that is weary and skeptical and thirsty. What are we called to be? We are called to be salt. Salt and light. We're called to be salt that brings flavor and beauty. That looks at the beautiful world around us and says, yes, this is beautiful. But we can be salt and bring out the flavor and the beauty even more by showing you Jesus. We're salt that preserves, that says, actually, there is a way to stop this from going bad. There is a way to do that. And it is Jesus. And we're called to be salt in that we induce that thirst in others. When they look at us, they say, there is something about you that is different. I want to know what it is. And we say, it's Jesus. It's not me. And we're called to be light. Light that shines brightly in the darkness. Lights that don't shine necessarily on their own, but shine together like a city on a hill that could be seen from hundreds of miles away. For us to do any of that, of course, we have to first come back to Jesus for ourselves. Don't lose your saltiness, he says. 
don't put that lamp under a bowl. Because he recognizes that we can lose our saltiness. We can hide those lamps under a bowl. He's realistic enough to recognize that in us. And that means we, as his followers, as his salt and his light, have to come back time and time again simply to his presence, to his word, to understand what it means to be salt and light, to let him love us and shape us to become that salt and light for the world. It's only out of the place of abiding with Jesus that we can become salt and light for Jesus. But salt and light is what he calls us to be. We are called to live in this world, to grow deep roots wherever we find ourselves, deep roots that invest in the places we are so that we can be salt and light to those around us. And for us to do that, we have to come back again and again, day by day, hour by hour, to him and to his presence and to say, Lord, I want to be your salt and I want to be your light. Help me to do that. Give me your spirit and your strength and your courage to do that. May I be salt, may I be light, wherever I may find myself this week. So what I'd love us to do now is to just have a couple of minutes to pray. Because this is one of those things that I think we can very easily understand and we can very easily agree with. But it's hard, isn't it? We have to face the reality that it's difficult once we leave the doors of this place to be the salt and the light. Just yesterday, we were having lunch um, with my parents who have no faith at all, and they were asking me how Easter had been. Now, bear in mind, I'm now ordained, um, and so my answer probably should have been better than, oh, it was really busy. But that was the first thing I said, and as soon as I said it, I thought, man, I have just missed the trick completely. How is that being salt and light? So it is hard to do this. No one is pretending it isn't. But it is also possible because we have God's spirit with us. So what I'd love us to do is just to pause for a couple of moments and to pray for his spirit to come, to pray for his spirit to fill our hearts and to help us to be salt and to be light.